song you just heard is Always Online by the band No Jersey from New York, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm Phil Schneider. And this is Phil and Nick explain wrestling to each other. Intense episode today. A uh, lot of lot of punching and kicking and uh, kneeing and bl- uh, well, blood in one of the matches. Uh, we actually picked two matches uh, this week that I think have a lot more in common than we might have realized when we were picking them. But uh, you picked a match from IWA Mid South Big Ass Christmas Bash uh, from 2006 uh, between it was a knockout or tap out only match between Loki and Necro Butcher. And we'll talk about my match later, but for context, uh, I picked the 2000 Royal Rumble match between Triple H and Cactus Jack, which most of the people listening to this have heard of. Um, so, But we're going to start with IWA Mid-South. There's a hobo who took too many chair shots in his life and takes unnecessary bumps against a self-serious asshole. Both matches, same thing. Function the same thing. <laughs> Self-serious asshole refuses to jump. Both matches are, are the actually are the same same idea, same concept. Um, yeah, so the 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 match from IWA. IWA is this promotion that was created by Ian and run by Ian Rotten, still running. You know, I think I think God, it's got to be twenty three or four twenty four years later after it was formed. Um, uh, promotion where famously. Uh, Pay was unclear. Was most of the guys not even so? Did both these guys get paid for this match? Maybe sometimes they did, but you know, like it was a, a promotion that would run these shows would, would bring in the best wrestlers in the in the America at the time, and would have put on really cool matches, and then would also have like crazy death matches in the main event and weird other things. And Tracy Smothers was involved a lot, and I mean, IWA Made South rules. It's great, like, and it, it was a real where you'd have these cards where a wide variety of different wrestling and talent. And, and especially in this period, this mid 2000s period, they really were doing these kind of all-star indie guys, like would be bringing them in for weekends and putting them against each other and having these just, you know, absolute kick-ass matches. And this was a period where Necro Butcher, they were starting to put Necro Butcher was a deathmatch wrestler before and after and during in these matches against like name indie guys and he would have like really 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 great styles clash kind of matches against mm-hmm. the indie guys iwa did a lot pwg did it some there's a, an awesome necro butcher brian danielson match from pwg uh and you know like he had this of course an iconic legendary match against samoa joe which is maybe the greatest independent wrestling match of all time and you know he had some matches against chris hero and claudio and and you know all the all the sort of guys of that era uh, big stars of that era had some Necro Butcher matches, and Necro Butcher was was awesome at this. Um, and still wrestles. He's, he's he's currently a regular at the XPW Revival. Um, and he after going away for a long time, he had cancer and was gone from wrestling for five or six, seven, or eight years, and then kind of has recently made a comeback and still looks Necro Butcherish. Um, his gimmick rough. He's the MAGA butcher, uh, where he comes out with like a Trump hat, and it's just kind of like a lot of the times, like, oh man, I don't need to, I don't need this going on in my life right now. Uh, but outside <laughs> of that, the ring is real, he still rules. I mean, he's mostly doing deathmatch stuff again now, but uh, is, is you know, like one of the true unique talents in professional wrestling history, as is Loki, who was like had it had a period of where of, he was the arguably the best wrestler in the world you know, in that sort of early 2000s area, or certainly one of them. And the guy who could really, just a pre-natural physical talent who could really wrestle yeah. almost any style at an incredibly high level where he can do this kind of thing, which is just like a super violent knockout kind of thing where he, or he could have a a shoot-style match against Brian Danielson and JPW, which resembles UWFI, or he could work red uh, where the match is as complex and and high level difficulty, high spot, fast moving stuff. Or, I mean, he could, you know, he's a guy who could literally do anything. Not the easiest guy to get along with apparently. And has burned almost every bridge he's had in the wrestling business. And, you know, like in a, in a just, in a, for talent alone, Loki should be like a top AEW star right now. And they certainly have brought in 
almost everybody else from that era in some way or another, but very conspicuously not Loki at all. Uh, and uh, and I'm sure that there's there's reasons behind that as much as I wish. As much as I like him, I'd like to see, you know, he'd be awesome in current ROH but or current AEW, but probably not going to happen. Yeah, so... So we uh, we may have mentioned that there's a uh, self-serious smug asshole who won't job to the guy that we both like uh, in both of these matches. And um, for me, that is low-key. Like, I do actually appreciate low-key physically. And what I thought was cool about this match, uh, and it kind of separated it from my feelings about low-key beyond it just being an awesome match is that it almost felt like and I, this could be because I've been playing a lot of it stri- like a street fighter match. There's not really any announcing. But you can hear, like, Americans talking in the background, and you can kind of hear an announcer, like, way off in the distance, like, framing some of the stuff. Like, you hear, like, what's he going to do to low-key on the top rope? And it sounds like an announcer. But there's this kind of, like, these are two distinct characters having a fight, and their styles are meshing because they're required to, because they're beating the shit out of each other almost for real. Like, there's a lot of, like, wow, that was a nasty punch by Necro. But it's not, he's not doing anything untoward. It's just like the two, you know, makes it look good. And there's this like really cool dynamic of it feeling like, and this is part of the PWG, IWA, ROH to, I think, maybe a little bit lesser extent of that kind of like all-star. Like you get to see these different fully formed characters, not just Roderick Strong clones or, you know, that that style of wrestler or Daniel uh Brian Danielson clones their actual distinct characters on top of being distinct performers and they're kind of traveling through a world tour almost and it kind of this match you don't have to understand any context you can just kind of get into it and enjoy it yeah there isn't a ton of context between they had a match earlier in the year against each other which is also excellent uh and this was them uh, saying we should do that again but this time we'll only do Knockouts and tapouts, and uh, they have, I think they wrestle each other. They wrestle each other four times total in their career. All four of them are cool. I think this is the best one, but you know, you could say argue the other. The other IWA Mid South one is is all is, is good too. I mean, the cool thing about this is, you know, Loki is a guy who sort of famously works super stiff, and he works really stiff in this match. I mean, there's you will look at his hands when he throws those kicks. They sound like he's slapping a leg, but he is not slapping a leg. That's just his foot hitting Necro with him. Jaw, and it sounds like a, a firecracker going off. But Necro Butcher also a guy who works super stiff. And give Loki credit, man. He took as big. He took as much as he gave in this match. And Necro Butcher is mm-hmm. hurling these like absolutely liver lacerating body shots in this match. Where he's yeah. just that's his yeah, go to. Loki there's goes, a point where he's just slamming him in the ribs and you're like, how are you not reacting beyond selling? Like, yeah. you must be a really strong, like, obviously low-key, but like, holy shit, like the physical, and it's, it, again, it doesn't feel untoward, it doesn't feel like they're shooting on each other, it feels like these are two really stiff guys, really, like, hitting their marks and getting into it the way that God intended a wrestling match to happen. Loki, at one point, Loki just straight up throws a Wahoo McDaniel style uh, uh, shot directly to Necro Butcher's dick. Like, just absolutely fucking doesn't pull it at all. That's not like a low blow where you can see, like, oh, look, I did a low blow. It's like, no, he's going to throw a chop. If the chop was to the chest, it would you'd hear it sound awful and you'd see this, uh, it got red, but they just chopped him right in the dick. And Necro kind of, you know, and Necro's a really great, he's a really great seller. Like, that's the other thing about people don't know that Necro Butcher. That guy is awesome at selling. And, you know, like there's a point where he gets, like, kicked in the head and he kind of sells it like a cat pawing at a ball of string got on his back and he's just kind of like moving his hands like i don't really know if i'm here and and it's also like he's trying to stop him from hitting him again because the shot came out of nowhere it's like a it's an amazing reaction because i remember that part distinctly he's just like and he like goes to see if there's something in his eye like he's so he plays or it was so surprised by the shot that his reaction is just like really cool it doesn't seem like cringy or cheesy at all it's like he got kicked really hard in the fucking head and he doesn't know what's going on <laughs> yeah well, he is he's i mean Here's the thing about Necro. I mean, he's got this sort of reputation as this guy who's a lunatic who's going to take stupid, incredibly stupid bumps and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he's a really, 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 really smart professional wrestler. Like, he mm-hmm. is somebody who had 
very thoughtful about the things that he does in the ring in a way way more than wrestlers who I think have that reputation, have a reputation of being, say, a cerebral wrestler or a cerebral assassin-like wrestler. <laughs> He's actually a very smart professional wrestler, does smart things. And Like, there's a spot that lo- the hanging double stomp is a low-key spot where he hangs the guy mm-hmm. by his legs and then double stomps him. Like a low-key signature spot. And just watch how Necro Butcher, Butcher reacts to being put in that position. Because it's kind of an awkward position to be put in. It's hard to make it look plausible. Like, why is the guy doing this? He's immediately like, what What the fuck do you he's, think he's, you're he's doing? He's to try to pull himself up, and he's twisting his arms and his legs, and eventually he kind of is able to power up, and he counters, and he powers up and punches Loki in the jaw. Mm-hmm. But just the amount of the way that he was setting that up, just such, such like smart wrestling rather than just let me get into the position for the big spot it's like no i gotta mm-hmm. fight my way out I gotta pull with this arm i try to pull over and i gotta try to do a setup and i'm not look like a guy who does a lot of setups and like all of the like struggle in there just really really uh really really smart little things in a match that has a lot of very big things i mean just a lot of huge holy shit moments in the match it also um, had that amazing spot they were like fighting on the floor and then Loki somehow like kicks him in the face from like a kneeling position. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like on the floor fighting. And he just like does like again like an animation from a fighting game and just knocks him on it, like knocks him back. And you're just like, what? How? How the f-? like the and what's really, really interesting with that match visually for me is the way the crowd kind of follows the action because there's no barricades or anything like that, because it's literally like a gym, high school gymnasium. So they're like dropping to the outside and there's this again, and this is why I kind of got a street fighter vibe. There's like a crowd of people and the ref in the middle, but it's kind of framed as like they're watching a fight and not a wrestling match in these moments. And there's no commentary. So you're not being told like, Oh my God, they're on the outside, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It just, they have commentary on every other match on the show. It's just, yeah. they have the sense of going, this is low key. Necro Butcher, let's shut the fuck up and just listen to how these punches and kicks out. And so yeah, exactly. Like, didn't have commentary. They had commentary. Every other match on the show had commentary. Almost every other IWA match, Mid-South match you'll ever watch will have commentary. This one, I, I, they had the sense of going, you know what? I don't have anything to add to this. Let the thumps be the commentary. Yes. Let the smacks be the commentary. Let the shrieks of pain and the crowd going, ah, let that be the commentary for this match. I don't have anything to add. So they do that a handful of times over the history of IWA. They have this sense to just let it let it be. Like they don't need, you know, so I'm not a huge normally fan of IWA commentary. Dave Prezak's a guy who's got a great reputation, but I always find him a little snarky and obnoxious to listen to. But so I appreciate sometimes when it's just like, no, nah, we're not going to have commentary here. We're just going to have, yeah. you know, we're just going to let this, let the, the music play. Uh, yeah. For it. And it's funny that explains literally the one thing he says is when they're on the top rope and they're like, basically like their reaction is like, this isn't the spot that we thought it was going to be like they're fighting and he goes what is i think it's what is net butcher gonna do to low-key and i'm like what where the fuck did that come from but, he but it's, like, what is he gonna do what is he <laughs> what he does in that context is an awesome looking top rope tiger driver yeah. he absolutely and he, he has a hits a couple of great looking tiger drivers never was a very good like as good as a good technical pretty good technical wrestler at the times he's tasked to do it obviously that isn't what he does but there's like a european rounds match with chris hero and iwa where they work like world of sport and you're like wow necro butcher the guy's got a lot of really clever mat reversals not a guy you would think would would have a lot of clever mat reversals but these guys got you know he's he's got a bigger bag than he necessarily always uh showed in his matches and you know but obviously had had some cool spots here obviously there's two dire Tiger drivers look incredible. And Loki. Also, and Loki, has, Loki, the thing about Loki is he's the closest pro wrestling ever really got to like a Tony Jaw or a, uh, or, you know, like a, you know, like a, like a, that kind of kung fu mm-hmm. martial art film star, right? Like Jack, maybe not Jackie Chan, but that kind of thing. And you, that when you talk about that kick, is he does things with his body that remind you when you're watching 
you know, when you're watching like a crazy martial arts movie. I don't know. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I said, like a cutscene or an animation where you're just like, what? How did you do that live? Like in front of people first try? Cool, man. God bless. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Also, whenever I see Necro Butcher, I think about the worst chair shot I have ever seen in my entire life on film or in person, which is uh, Morishima at the next or new level, it's the first ROH show in Hammerstein Ballroom. And Morishima, like, was a big, beefy boy, uh, or probably still is. And I mean, like, like a Barry Bond swing at this dude's head. And you like, it's, it's the worst, one of the worst things I've ever seen in wrestling. And he finished the match i was like you everyone knew we just watched a dude get brain full concussion like my friend andy was right by his wife and his wife was like clearly upset uh yeah that was the worst but he finished the match it was like the that's what necro butcher does right i mean that guy takes some i mean you know the samoa famous samoa joe match samoa joe power slams him on his forehead on concrete you know, like, well, I don't know what that was. What was he trying to? I mean, I've actually talked to everyone about this match. podcast about it. He explained that he slipped on blood, and that was why it ended up like that was what he was trying to do. But I mean, he takes those kind of things, and it's just like, you know, kind of stumbles forward and keeps going, and like, a, like, a, and, you know, he takes some pretty nasty shots to the head in this match too. I mean, mm-hmm. Loki does not hold back on any of those kicks, and Loki's a guy who's knocked people out in pro wrestling matches with kicks before. I mean, that's a Loki thing where he'll like, you know straighten somebody out like a board with an unnecessarily violent kick and necro butcher just kind of takes the, those level of kicks the kind of kicks that put other people in the hospital and just kind of wanders through it okay i'm gonna punch you right in the jaw now and i'm just gonna keep going because i cannot be hurt i will uh you know and he obviously is taking some over the course of his career some just absolutely insane like fire and glass and barbed wire I mean, that kind of stuff too or just like i mean i saw I went to a CZW tournament of death show. Um, <clears throat> only one deathmatch tournament I've ever been to in, in like Delaware in a in a in a backyard somewhere uh, with my buddy <laughs> Tom McKay. And it, the finish of that thing was like it was Necro Butcher getting like thrown off of a like the top of a truck through like four tables of glass panes of glass and fire and you're just like, oh no. Think about deathmatch tournaments, they tend to desensitize you. Like that yeah, thing by say. Day, like, oh, wow, that's fucking crazy. You want to get out of here? I was kind of like, there was, <laughs> after watching it for like three hours, by the end, it was just like, holy shit, that was really four tables, five panes of glass, a bunch of fire, and some barbed wire. And it looks like he's still alive. All right. Let's do it the road. <laughs> that was my, one of my favorite trips ever. It was a double feature me and my buddy Tom did where we did the Tournament of Death in Delaware. And then we drove to an Arturo Gotti fight in atlantic city was the was the encore to the tournament of death uh um one of the great one of the great dumb weekends of my life yeah uh no and i like truly truly insane loki a physical marvel and still i mean if you like i said loki is not super active in pro wrestling right now he does not wrestle very many matches a year but you when he shows up and like you know in he wrestles a lot in house of glory which is the promotion that Red runs in New York. And, mm-hmm. You know, he'll be, you'll still watch it and you'll be like, oh yeah, Loki's still Loki. Had a great match with, um, with Shingo Takagi this year, you know, and, and like we'll often be put in against like your big, big fly in stars. He had a Kingston match this year that was pretty good with a shitty ending. I mean, it's Loki too, right? So you'll have these matches a lot of times where it'll be like, you know, who Russell Kingston and you'll be like, oh fuck, this is Loki Kingston. These guys are, you know, haven't wrestled that many times against each other, but every time they have, it's really great. And then you watch it, it's really great. It has an absolutely awful ending because Loki doesn't do a job. And it's not like any Kingston's going to do a job to a guy that's not an AEW contracted thing on an indie show. So it's like, yeah, oh, exactly. Fuck finish to this otherwise awesome match maybe loki just although he did although he, to be fair he jobbed to takagi did not that was clean a clean loss uh it was one of the, the one loki match i wrote up for the rigor during the thing was a clean loss where he laid down shoulders on the mat one two three so he can't do it but obviously won't doesn't do it here uh you know beats ends up beating necro butcher with a pretty nice looking triangle choke arm bar 
Which was kind of a surprising ending, just given the, the like, preceding violence. But I think that the violence in this match was also interesting because it was, yeah, they, like, wrestled on the outside. And they did stuff with the, like, general, the chairs and stuff like that. But it wasn't, and, and I think we can, uh, <laughs> we'll hit a break and then we'll come back and talk about it. It's not a uh, dumpster match. It's not like a garbage match. It's not a plunder match. It's a match that's a fight and takes place in a place where they're having a fight. It's not basically the Royal Rumble match. And I think that is what actually like makes it an even starker, like, no, these dudes are just violent, crazy people throwing themselves at each other, basically for all intents and purposes. And again, like I always say, that's what God intended a wrestling match to be. Like I was really, I really, really dug this match, even though I don't like low key. Um, did, did you so wanna... what's your issue with Loki? Because you're not a guy who has a ton of, you know, like, it's like not like you're somebody who's immersed in early 2000s ROH backstage politics and has problems with them for that. Right? Like, I, I have problems with Loki because they've, like, introduced, I introduced himself to me once and he was an asshole to me. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> not that much of a problem. Why not be an asshole to me? That's fine. I don't have actually... I really have an issue with it but like you know like your issues with loki guys are usually people have immersed in scenes that loki has been a dick in those scenes but it's not like loki is a dick in the scenes you're immersed into i have just never it could be a situation where i have seen a decent amount of loki and have only seen him like work the kind of matches where he is the unquestioned star and is there to make loki look good and kick up like he does i don't think he's bad right but he is not my vibe in terms of like i like a very specific kind of like i don't have a type in terms of wrestler i have a type of wrestler like i don't vibe with if that makes sense so like he just kind of i can see him in stuff where i don't have to like think about the low-key character of just like this like I know the WWE kind of got into it, but like the, the, like, again, the, like the self-serious kind of guy, I just want to like, it's kind of like Will Ospreay too, where it's like, I don't actually dislike Will Ospreay as a human being. I just find him kind of annoying. And like, it makes me, I just, I think he's kind of annoying. And when I watch him, I think he's kind of annoying and I can't shake it unless it's like devoid of that context, which is a thing on me. I'm not like he, no, it's the kids who are wrong. Loki's a lot. There's some similarities. Oh, oh, but do you you get what I'm saying in terms of like yeah, the... and part of it, like, you know, I was, you know, ground zero for Loki in the sense of him appear as a him as a wrestler that people paid attention to. That was a scene that I was like I the first uh, with a super eight uh in two thousand one where he uh and Brian Nielsen were in the main event and it was the match that sort of made both of them. That was mm-hmm. one of the reasons that it made both of them is because the Death Valley driver was there covering it. And we made a huge deal of how awesome this was. And that became a guy where they kept, they got booked. And it sounds, it sounds a little self aggrandizing, but Brian Nielsen told me this himself. Like part of the reason that those guys got started getting booked is because we were really hyping that shit. And like, mm-hmm. you know, all it, we were going, I was going to JPW shows where Loki was having these matches. And I went to the King of the Indies in California. And so I, he's one of like a guy that, I mean, it's almost like when you have a band that breaks and you were at their, like, fifth gig ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I had some matches before I started going there. But I went to every – I, for a while, went to every Brian Danielson Loki match because I went to the – I went to the, you know, the, the matches, they, the Super 8 matches, the rematches in ECWI. I went to one of the JBW matches. I was in California for the King of the Indies. I just went decided to visit my parents – because the King of the Indies was happening, and I was like, "Oh, I live in California. I have parents in California. I can go to this." So I was like, "So he was like, in a lot of ways, one of my guys, like my real guys that I was part of that." And you know, obviously, the ROH stuff soured, and you know, then he he burned bridges there, and he burned bridges in TNA, and he burned bridges in WWE, and decided that he was going to go out and wear a suit in New Japan when they told him not to. And he's like one of the few guys that's never coming back to New Japan. I mean, he is a guy who, who, you know, in some ways I, I don't know, in some ways I kind of appreciate that too. Cause like, okay. Yeah. The guy's kind of an asshole to promoters, but you know what? Fuck bosses. That's kind of also my part of it too. Right? Like, yeah. Okay. Fuck. I don't, what am I going to be the guy who's going to, going to Kate for whatever, like 
boss in ROH, like the Carrie Silk and the guy who owns pawn shops or ran ROH. Yeah. You know what? Loki was probably a dick to him, but you know what? I don't know anything about Carrie Silk, but odds are there was probably some legitimacy in his issues with that fucking guy, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to side with management over labor in any circumstances. So part of me about Loki is like, yeah, I appreciate it. It's not going to do this. It's not going to, okay, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to lose. All right. You know, that's fine. I'll leave. And so part of me appreciates the guy who knows his worth, right? You know what I mean? Like, uh, more people were like Loki. Maybe wrestlers would have a union. <laughs> you know? <laughs> more MMA fighters were like Loki. Maybe the UFC guys wouldn't be getting 11% of the revenue versus, like, 50% of the revenue that NBA players get or, or NFL players get. Right? Like, some ways, you gotta, guys willing to advocate for themselves – I feel weird about being somebody who's like, yeah, that guy, that guy, that guy doesn't get along with any of his bosses. Good. <laughs> see, see what you could do is you could become the boss. It's all about the game, and how you play it. All about control, and if you can take it, all about your debt, and if you can pay it, it's all about pay. And who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me, I am control. In 2017, Universal Studios announced The Dark Universe, an ambitious project that would see all of their classic movie monsters come together like some kind of horror Avengers. Only one movie was ever made, which bombed so hard they canceled the entire franchise. But what if they hadn't? On our podcast, Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, we imagine the connected horror universe that never was. Every week, one of us pitches the other on the next movie in the universe until we grow to Marvel proportions and beyond. So far, we've tackled Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and many more, and we're just getting started. Follow along on your favorite podcast app and ask yourself the question, Are you afraid of the dark universe? And we're back. Uh, thanks, as always, to the folks at Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe. Uh, so um, if you've been waiting for the fireworks in this show, um, I think they're about to go off because I've uh, decided to give... Uh, I should preface this by saying that Triple H is my favorite wrestler, much to my chagrin of all time. Uh, and uh, Phil... Uh, <sighs> Hate is a strong word, but I don't think it's one you would push back against. Uh, Phil, the floor is yours. The floor is mine. That's fine. So, so here's the thing: is this universally considered Triple H's best match? I think so. Okay. Is it Mick Foley's in his top fifty? Probably not. Uh, maybe in the top 75. So here's the thing. I, one of, we've talked a little about my internet wrestling history in previously about the sort of pimping. The, the other thing, one of the other things I'm pretty well known for was something called the Dustin of the Dead, which me and my buddy Tom K did um, and was a big part of the, the big thing that we did for the Death Valley Driver. It's a book project we'll work on at some point. And it started by somebody praising Triple H. And my response, well, Dustin wrote, Triple H is, is pretty, C minus Dustin Rhodes has had a hundred better matches better than the best match Triple H has ever had. I think this was the one that I use as the baseline for here's a hundred better Dustin Rhodes matches. Um, this is fine. This is pretty good. This is Mick Foley doing a Mick Foley thing. This is the functional equivalent of his, a, like a more blown out, more main event version of his Falls Count Any Mirror match with Van Hammer from the Clash of the Champions. Oh, I'm in with a blonde guy with a lot of roids who can't really move his body that well. But here, watch 11 crazy bumps I take. And to be fair, Van Hammer didn't bleed as much as Triple H did in this match. And as a vampire, I appreciate the amount Triple H bled. And I don't, <laughs> didn't really remember this match being a match where he outbled Foley, but he really did. Foley didn't really bleed in this at all. But this was functionally Mick Foley taking a bunch of really crazy bumps and shots to the head and a lot of crazy stuff around Helmsley kind of, you know, doing his knee lifts and bleeding a lot. So the idea that this was some sort of master performance by him, this was like Mick Foley doing the Mick Foley thing, like he would do if he was in there with Shoji Nakamaki or the Crypt Keeper or something like that in IWA. It's like, okay, I don't want to work a guy who's not very mobile. Here, I'm going to fucking fling my knees into the into the into a into metal uh steps 
right? Like, and I'm, or, or I'm going to get handcuffed and get hit in the head a lot with a chair. And, you know, which, that's oof. Paul's uh, uh, to do that too. Uh, he could be on the uh, be the a, the a side of a Mick Foley kills himself match. I was not the idea that this is some sort of master Helmsley performance. This is what Mick Foley does at his height, and this was obviously a huge match in his career. It was in Madison Square Garden. He was bringing back Cactus Jack. I'm trying to remember the context. He had done Cactus Jack in the WWF before this, right? Like this specifically with. Uh, Triple H. Like, he had come back a couple of times to work Cactus Jack had come back to work with uh, Chainsaw Charlie Terry Funk and to work against Triple H. So, like, there is a ma- another match at Madison Square Garden where he turns into Cactus Jack to fight Triple H at Raw. And then this is the... <laughs> Sorry. This is the like... The storyline before this is that uh, Triple H and Stephanie take over the company, essentially. he uh, Triple H fires Foley. Foley then gets reinstated after The Rock and everybody else threatens to walk out. And then Triple H beats the ever-living piss out of Mankind slash Mick Foley. Like, really fucks him up. Uh, And Mick Foley is like, well... I guess there's only one person that's going to be able to fight you in Madison Square Garden. And he rips off his shirt, uh, his like button up white shirt, and he has the uh, Cactus Jack shit on. And yeah. Triple H like does the like, ah! Um, so. I watched, I watched the video uh, package setting this up where they kind of. Okay, like, yeah. Real, real subtle acting by Triple H there. What a. What a I. Uh, fucking NXT face acting on that. Jesus Christ. That's what it's supposed to look like, Phil. <laughs> you can there's a difference between conveying things with your facial expressions and that kind of like hammy uh junior college improv class acting that he and he and Shawn Michaels have invested in NXT with. It's like every, every single every single person is it's like 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 acting class experiment theater work. Make a scared face. Make it bigger. <gasps> Yeah, no. So that was. Uh... So, so yeah, I don't know. Obviously, a good match. I appreciate a guy getting like a wound <laughs> on his ankle. That was cool. I mean, and, and you know, and obviously Foley was great in it. But I don't. What was great about Triple A? What was what was the things about Triple A? We talked a bunch of things that we liked about Necro Butcher's performance and that Necro Butcher match, right? What were the things about Triple H's performance in this match that made you say there is a great wrestler doing great wrestler things? Because I was watching for it. I was like, I'm going to watch this with an open fucking mind. I've watched a Helmsley match in a long time on purpose. I certainly am long removed from the fact that where I would watch TV in his just omnipresent horseshit stained everything and I couldn't stand watching television movies of all. So no, I've given this some repose. It's not like I'm irritated with him on a weekly basis anymore. So maybe I can appreciate this his performance in this match. I really tried to and I was watching oh yeah. So, one I, arm, so Paul Orndorff versus Cactus Jack was really good too. When Paul Orndorff couldn't move his arm, and there's something about like when Cactus Jack does this thing, it could happen against almost anyone who's like a functional professional wrestler. And people who aren't, I mean, you know, like he had this, he had a, some incredible matches against with Sandman when Sandman was on like LSD. Like it was like so like I was so like we would talk about how he's on LSD in these matches and didn't really know where he was and it's like okay those matches are awesome uh, I certainly would rather watch Sandman on LSD versus Cactus Jack than this match even though this is really good um, um so I well if you want to know my because I like I like tell me one thing you like and I was like oh well I was gonna and you were like and another thing about yeah. Triple H he uh, knew it was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is why I, one of the reasons I picked this match. Actually, no, I picked this match because I love this match. Uh, to me, this is and this is going to anger you so much. To me, this is the pinnacle of Attitude Era storyline in a match, and I think it's the best match of the Attitude Era if you consider that to be from. I would put it above, and this will probably anger you in an actual way, I would put it above the submission match between Austin and Hart, for me, personally. Uh, Because 
Because I, mean, I think I don't like. I'm not going to get too upset if you say this is the yeah. best attitude era match again. Yeah. I thought the attitude era, for the most part, was pretty was dog shit. Yeah, yeah it was yes, dog shit. Like an emotional reaction was like, how can you say this is better than this? This rock versus I don't. Well, I don't know, Phil. You get worked up sometimes about surprising things, um, but no. So the idea was it's better than than Bret Hart. Austin, I find kind of preposterous. Uh, uh, I okay. like it more. We all love different things, so you know I'm yeah, not gonna. Yeah. I, I respect you as a as a person and a thinker, so I'm not gonna like <laughs> come up to your neck for that thought. But I I think there's almost nothing about this that is as good as that match. I, I just don't, I I think that for <laughs> me, I I dis I don't necessarily disagree with the idea that Triple H is limited offensively, but I do personally enjoy a great deal the way he sells i enjoy that in almost every match i think he is good at presenting himself as a guy getting his ass kicked by somebody tougher and better than him i think he is a good heel bumper and i think that for me personally i think that his willingness to kind of wrestle and you are probably going to disagree with this at a at the pace that the crowd wants him to. I think he's very good at dictating the. I think he's very good at controlling the reaction of the crowd in a way that allows the actual moments where stuff is supposed to happen to really pop. Uh, I like the way he controls a match. I don't think he's the best worker. I think I like watching him be in charge of a match more than almost anybody else. And I, I like, I've seen enough that I feel as though he, like, it's not just me having him shoved down my throat or anything like that. Like, because, you know, when you're constantly told somebody's a cerebral assassin, you go, well, I mean, obviously, they wouldn't call him that. But I've watched enough for me that that is, I enjoy when he calls a match, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, and you obviously don't. But I think that's where my enjoyment of him comes from. It's not I that mean, I think he's like, like, I don't like his moves. I don't care about his moves. I don't really care about moves as a general thing. Uh, not that you're like a saying like he doesn't do like he doesn't do a backflip. Like we both know he did not can do a backflip. That's not what you're saying. I think you're he saying something different. Any, he can't do any offense unless it's involved with him either whipping somebody into the rope or his opponent whipping him into the rope. I mean, when we talk about a limited offensive wrestler, he is unable to apply any offense or transition a match unless he's either whipped into the rope or taking it out uh, or whipping someone else into the rope. So what are we talking about when somebody limited offense? <laughs> I'm, not talking, I'm like, I'm a Jerry Lawler fan. He just does punches, but it's like, which isn't really true, but like, you know what I mean? I don't care that you don't have a lot of a huge moveset, yeah. but the fact that you can't, you've watched a Triple H match and explain to me the time he does something that isn't some sort of Irish whip. Every match is just- uh, There's the knee lift. There's the other knee lift. He always comes after a fucking Irish whip. It's like an Irish whip. I'm going to do the jumping knee. So, so I don't the idea of him being some sort of like, I mean, that, I guess you can say that he's, he's good at pacing that this type of this type and only this type of WWE main event wrestling. Yes. To me, and I, uh, I will well, say this. That, is he better than that than Austin was? I thought Austin was a lot better Austin, at fighting moments. But Austin never had those those interminable Shawn Michaels matches that would go yes. 45 and snore a crowd to death, right? Like, The Rock, who I also am not a gigantic fan of in the ring, never had matches like that. where they would just And I think that's the problem with Triple H, is that I think, on the back end especially, uh, you look at the Roman Reigns WrestleMania matches, I think that there is a specific time period in which he could, for me, personally, I was all in from about 2000. I even like the evolution. I'm done. It was running roughshod. And I think it's because I wasn't there live. So I'm just watching like in retrospect. Uh, but like basically from like 2000 to 2008, the period that most people like really hate Triple H, like loved. Like, I love a lot of the matches from that era. I like that kind of 
that is not even the style I grew up on. It's the style I came to like of that kind of big WWE style made event. He only does the WWE style made event. Well, I think is I, I would agree with that, but that's like my favorite kind of match. Does that make sense? So he like, he's the, my favorite action I director. And I, and I don't, although I can appreciate well-worked WWE main event style matches the way I can appreciate great wrestling of almost any type. I would not put that as even close to my favorite type of wrestling. Oh yeah. The stuff now with the, the, I mean, I was not like, oh, I didn't, well, I don't like, even can, this is like with the cutscenes and shit. Like what I liked about this match is there wasn't 20 cutscenes of me having to look at Roman Reigns being like, I'm the big dog. Like it was just a fight. So much better at timing matches than Elmsley is. And I'm not a giant Reigns guy, but like, I think when we talk about like the timing and putting stuff together, even though those matches are all the same, and all the Poundsley matches are the same. I mean, yeah. you could watch this one and it was just like, oh, okay, here's the part where they do like sort of some plunder brawling in the aisle and here are the two table spots. I mean, it really is like the kind of, you watch this and I mean, there was some stuff in here. There was the point where the WF got really grody and violent. Like you'd have just gross blood. Like, that, you know, and I appreciate that as somebody who like wrote a whole <laughs> book about that kind of shit. Like there was a period where it's like Vince would just bleed all over the fucking ring or Flair would bleed all over the ring or Helmsley in this case is like got wounds in his leg. I mean, I appreciate that kind of shit. It's just a gruesome spectacle. But, uh, <clears throat> and you never have the chair shots you had in this match now. That was Oh, God. Like, that Those are like genuinely horrifying. You're just like, put your fucking hands up, Mick. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? Well, that's not, but you never said put your hands up Helmsley wow I can't believe you're doing that like the memorable moments in this match were Mick Foley doing crazy shit what and he had that Helmsley was just the guy swinging the chair. I, uh, I did enjoy the um, specifically his uh, the shot and I posted this on Blue Sky which uh, you and I are both on of him climbing out of the broken table just covered in blood is like one of my favorite images from and that's the kind of like the stuff I like in this match my favorite bump maybe ever is in this match when Foley takes the chair shot and like hesitates and then dumps out of the ring with the handcuffs on do you know the part I'm talking about where he it looks like he's falling off the side of a building (laughs) like that I just love like there's a lot of this match this match and the is to me what the best version of a like a this era of WWE main event should be and like the best worst match on a WWE F or WWE card should be the WrestleMania seven match that we watched last last time like yeah. there's kind of I, I guess I'm kind of building out like this is my magic card if I could pick any card this would be it. Um, but this match in particular has always had a resonance with me because of the, like, also it was very interesting to watch the level to which, and probably money involved, probably reputation involved, knowing who's going to write the future of the business from a history perspective, the level to which Mick Foley is like, Mick Foley is just like, I'm going to make you look like a billion dollars in this match. Like he makes triple H, he makes Triple H in this match, essentially. Like, I think Triple H plays a 25% part in terms of, like, he shows up and he, like, takes the bumps he's supposed to. But, like, this and the No Way Out match are really uh, kind of what make Triple H into that, like, mega star are these matches, really. And Mick Foley kind of knew that. And you can see, like, he's really, like... He's advanced age for the style of wrestling that he was doing. So what, 37 or 33 or 34 or something crazy like that? Like he was young, but like his career was over because he was taking these kind of bumps. And this match is kind of like one of the last, like, I'm just going to go for broke. I'm going to make this guy look really good. I like as someone who loves wrestling, one of the things I love the most is watching somebody else go out of their way to make this somebody else look good in a way that like benefits them both. And that th- that's the other thing I really love about this match is like, you keep saying, and I, I don't mean this in like a combative way, but like keep saying like, well, this is Mick, Fo- uh, Mick Foley or Cactus Jack doing a kick. Yeah. That's like one of the best things I can ever think of ever. I love, I, I, like, I love Cactus Jack. I mean, I, I, yeah. he was like, <laughs> that period where the period, like the sort of mid nineties where you had him, where he was, had left WCW and was in ECW and wrestling in Japan. And he was, mm-hmm. that was 
my favorite runs any wrestlers ever had. We would come on, to, you'd go to ECW TV and you'd cut these absolutely, maybe some of the best promos in wrestling history. Ever. We'd, he's he's one of like, the better promos ever. That's what's crazy. We give the ECW ones especially. We'd give you, yeah. give you like speeches, you'd see Tarantino write somebody in a movie or something like that. And, you know, about like, you know, the Kane Dewey promo or the promo about how he refuses to hit the ball to left field. I mean, all that stuff. And then you would have these, you'd have these incredible matches in ECW. It's like guys like Sabu and Sandman and Terry Funk. And, and then he would also be the point where it's just, I was just starting to get into tape training and you would be able to find, it was like, holy shit, Nick Foley had this match in, in IWA Japan where they were wrapping fucking um, bricks with barbed wire. And oh man, I found somebody who has that. And now I can get, and I'll, he'll take the all Japan TV that I have. And now I get to see this shit. And it's not like you have to go, you, you have to go find it. You have to go find these Mick Foley and IWA Japan matches where you'd just be absolutely insane. That's me. You know, part of what got to this thing. It was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty crazy. I mean, I saw war of the wire though with Terry Funk. It's not that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, it's like, I don't know, you know, it's, so you, this stuff, I think I, impressed me a little less because the Foley in my mind was that, was that Foley was the Foley who was, who was doing, you know, would have this tag match where we'd team with, with Ono against Nakamaki and the Crypt Keeper. And he would take just these absolutely psychotic bumps and set his fucking head on fire and then cut some crazy promo in the back, half a Japanese covered in blood. It was like this just figure of like, of this amazing figure, like this character out of like some sort of, you know, wild post-apocalyptic movie. He was Mad Max or something like that. So by the time he got to the WWE and he was like making poopy, poopy, peepee jokes with Vince McMahon, I was like, oh, it was the Al Pacino in, um, what was the, what was the movie? Uh, uh, Jack and Jill era Al Pacino. (laughs) We saw Al Pacino, I guess, but this is what he's doing now. You know what I mean? As opposed to the, this isn't Serpico for sure. <laughs> so I mean, that part of me, part of me, with being such an enormous Cactus Jack fan in that period, and, and the period before that in WCW, and the Vader period, and you know maybe even the period before that, you know, with the, the Eddie Gilbert series and TWA, and where he was this sort of just incredible iconic figure, and then you know he he made a, obviously everybody remembers him from the later stuff, and he made a ton of money and became a huge star mm-hmm. and. God bless him, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna begrudge him his house. You know what I mean? But that was he lives the, a couple. He lives a couple towns away from me, actually. And, and I'm sure, his house is huge. And he's got yep. a pool. And he lives a great life, <laughs> yeah. and, and and he deserves to have a great life because I'm sure that he also has trouble remembering his grandkids' names and has trouble walking down the street because of what he did. So I don't begrudge him begrudge him his blockbuster period but i'm never it's never going to resonate with me the same way oh of course yeah yeah. i I totally get that and it's it's it but for me this was this and the wcw cactus jack was the one i knew i like knew about the exploding barbed wire death matches and i had seen one because like when i was very young i used to watch like live ecw pay-per-views in like 96 and 97 when i was like 9 and 10 like that era of just like i should probably not actively not be watching this i am way too young and it is nine o'clock at night or ten o'clock at night and i'm watching this with my dad and his friend like so like i saw some like crazy shit i think i probably have seen one exploding death wire uh exploding barbed wire death match match i think there's only one but like i've i've seen the explosion from when i was young like i remember that match that was, so, that was, they, they show highlights of it even here right the, yeah. the, the, the finals of the King of the Death match against Terry Funk was the exploding barbell. The match actually isn't very good. It's okay, but it's not. It's 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 like not the the great Cactus Jack stuff from that era. It's like you, you got to dig even a little deeper than that, which was the main event of a of a dome show tournament, and it was good. But there's a just a straight no ropes barbed wire match between Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in Japan. The War of the Wire wrote about it in Way of the Blade. It is. Which I didn't write about the exploding barbed wire one. That's the one. That's the one where it's like, oh my god, this this is just absolutely insane. And it was contemporaneous, right? Like I was watching them feud in ECW on the on on like when I would it it would air on like Wednesday nights in my dorm in college, and I was watching and super into that. 
And then you would get to the point where it's like, oh man, they had a match in Japan that's supposedly insane. Well, how do I get my hand? Right? Like I gotta find a guy, a guy who knows this guy has got the tape. And you know, and and so it was like it was really because you had to so you really had to search that stuff down. It wasn't on YouTube, you had to find a guy and then you had to send him twenty dollars, or you had to find a guy and then send him a get two VCRs and copy some shit you had, and then you could get your hands on these these cactus jack matches in Japan, which were you know, which, you know, some of them are still incredible. You know, some of them are, are you know, a little, maybe don't age as good, but they all kind of age pretty good. Like, he's he's a really, really, he was really, really an incredible performer and was my favorite, at one point, my favorite wrestler. Like, there was a, that period, Kakashag was my absolute favorite wrestler. So, I appreciated when he, this WWE run, it was hard not to be, not to look at it like, oh, man, that's too bad that he, is doing this instead of what he was doing before, even though what he was doing before, there was no way that was sustainable. I mean, he's somebody who had said in his book, right? He tried to have Vader cripple him on purpose so he could take the insurance, <laughs> machine, you know, 93, right? Like, I mean, he's a guy who's always burning a little bright. It's pretty crazy that he ended up with such a long, successful career, as opposed to being like the rock star who ODs after the first album. Because in a lot yeah, of ways, no, he... the, uh, the sort of, uh, you know, uh, trajectory he was on. Yeah, but I think yeah, I think there's a bunch of factors, including uh, being a strong man from Long Island, like myself. That's what kept him strong. Uh, we're 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 strong people, Long Islanders. <laughs> um, so um, I think that's uh, that's all for this week. Um, did you have? Do you have anything coming up? Anything you want to plug? Where can they find you, Phil? Because we're on Blue Sky again. Uh, I should mention that. If yeah, I'm still on still on the uh, the the burning fetid husk of Twitter. Uh, who do I, you know, I, I, I'm not logging off. I'll be the last fucking guy. It'll be me, <laughs> 70 Nazis, and Elon, <laughs> the last people on Twitter. Uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, on Twitter, I, we've got, I'm doing the weekly thing every week on our Patreon, still for free. So folks should check that out. To listen to this. Yeah. And, and we've been archiving previous months so that that's where, where you'll kind of and you have access to the kayfabe metrics database on the patreon yeah. sorry continue so go ahead and do that go ahead and do that i don't know what i'll uh got some some things in the hopper which may or may not come out i mean i've got a book that's coming out that that should be coming out before the end of the year uh another uh so keep your eyes on peeled on that it's gonna be pretty cool it's gonna be in a, a sort of part of the way of the blade uh family of books it's going to be a little different um but it's pretty cool work on that working on some other stuff i might have a thing for a, a different legacy media operation that has been submitted and made but run at some point as well so i'm around excellent uh and you can check me at the nixter that's t-h-e-n-1-c-k-s-t-e-r that's basically everywhere um and yeah that's that's it we'll be back probably in about two weeks with two other matches uh but for now i guess um bye i i don't have a signature sign off i'm sorry everyone i'll try harder next time go watch more <laughs> next, go watch necro butcher matches all right yeah buddy <laughs> uh, we, I'll never log off, I'll never log off.